for you. This month of October is what we call our North American um, 2020 Mission Initiative. Now, I'm going to explain something to you this morning about that. What I'm talking about is our church, Grace Point Church, belongs to um, every nation, uh, an organization called Every Nation Churches and Ministries. And what we're doing, we're trying to reach, we reach a lot of churches around the world. Right now, we have over 1,000 churches in 60 nations overseas. Right now, we have over 50 churches here in America. This 2020, by the year 2020, we'll believe in God to double our churches here in America. And what that is, is called a church planning initiative. And when it says join the movement, we've already, we already doubted down that as a church, we are a part of the movement. And every, month, every week um, this, during this month, you're going to see a video. This one was on Chicago, and, Ron, and Pastor Ron, they just launched out that church. Next week, you'll see a church that we're launching in Cincinnati. Um, I'll be giving you some more information about a church we're uh, working on in San Antonio. But we believe God, as, as you see the, this word here, crisis, as you see this word crisis, we believe the gospel is the only thing that can wipe out crisis in our lives. And the only way to do that is to plant churches. And in North America, we want to get and cover the North America with, with churches. We believe put Jesus on every corner. And that's what our initiative is. And what we did is this bookmark here. If you can, partner with us and pray this whole week, on, on sun, starting today, Monday. You have the scriptures here. You have the direction here. Just praying for God, for the open doors, for those missionaries are going out and launching out and planting churches. And we're part of that movement. We are the movement. Grace Point is, more, is bigger than you see here in Abilene, Texas, but we have a vision that's for every nation. That's a large vision, isn't it? That means that puts us at a higher le- level of faith. And we're all agreeing to get, we're all coming together as a region, and we're believing God to plant churches. So that's what we call a 2020 uh, initiative. We want to double our churches here in America. Again, um, this whole month, at the end of the month, we, what we'll do is we'll take up a missions offering directly for this. Because that will go to Rowland, that will go to anyone, all those missionaries who are out there planting churches. Because one thing you do need when you're planting a church is funding and a building to get people. Okay? It's, we're doing it by purpose. So pray how much you, over the month, how much you might want to give for this. If you're not, if, um, We'll do this at the end of the month, and I'm really excited about that because, really, what better month to talk about uh, changing the world and planting churches and making Jesus famous in every city when we go into this thing, um, talking about crisis this month. Talking about the M word that a lot of people don't like to talk about in church, the M word, money. When I say money, everyone just goes, I came to the wrong service. I thought you were going to talk about everything else, but money, because money is important. It's a great servant, but it's a terrible master. And what we're going to do the next four weeks is talk about how to, what God says about, biblically about finances. Finances, of, I'm not saying that you shouldn't have them or you shouldn't want them, but you want to use them really for the glory of God. And you want to, here's what I want you to do when you come out of this in four weeks. I want you to have the ability to tell money where to go so money does not tell you where to go. You ever notice how you live your life under stress and money is dictating what you will do. 
versus what you're going to tell your money to do. Don't forget, money is amoral. It has no soul except to the one who's holding it. So we're going to spend the whole month talking about money and the biblical truth of, finance, of money the way God intended us to use it, his way. How are we doing with that? It's, it's a tough subject. I understand. I can feel you. The air just left the room. <laughs> Pastor Rich, you guys broke? No. <laughs> it says to equip you to be disciples. And this is one of those things we teach every year to remind you about what God says about money. He created money. He created the system. He wants us to use it properly to glory. And not for you to be stressed by it. Because we know the holidays are coming up, aren't we? Thanksgiving. Christmas. I got to go buy that gift. No one really wants it. Right? Y'all receive gifts that's in your garage right now. And if the people came to visit you, they shipped it to you. You break it out like, I really love this thing. Because you really didn't want it. It's like a, being a father. You get soap on a rope every year. <laughs> and you you be. So I want to... <laughs> So as we go on launch into our four-week series on crisis, the first installment is called The Grip of Greed. The Grip of Greed. If you have your Bibles, turn to um, Luke chapter 12, verse 15. Because we know that we're in the middle of a crisis. We're coming, we, some feel like we're coming out of a crisis. Some think we're still in the crisis of our last um, uh, financial collapse. And this is the perfect time to talk about it. This is Luke 12, verse 15. It says this. This is Jesus speaking. It says the parable of the rich fool. <laughs> but he said to them, take care, be on guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Can we just pray? Father, I thank you that you bring truth, your truth that you change lives, you transform lives, change the way we think by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. You see this, I love it. It starts off with a warning, take care and be on guard against all covetousness, not some, all of it, because we all deal with some level of, and the word covetousness means greed. We all deal with some type of greed in our lives. And then when he puts it in here, he's like, remind yourself, be on guard every single day that you're not walking in greed, but you're walking in love of God and, and giving. You're going giving, not getting all the time, the attitude of getting. The word greed means this, an intense selfish desire to have more wealth, power, or food. Wealth, power, or food. It's intense. Selfish. You see that word? Selfish desire to please me, to please my family. To please my business. And it's intense. Because we were before we knew God, we were all about ourselves. Remember? Didn't mind it to anybody else as long as I got my own. I was great living on my own without God. I thought I was. And it's amazing. I used to, if you didn't know, back in the day we had albums, 33 and a third albums. Some of the old people just, just walk with me. I mean, seasoned people. And I would, thank you, me too. I would, uh, 
lend out my, I would, someone come, hey, can I get this album from you? And I make them sign a contract that you will have the album back by Tuesday afternoon. If you didn't have my album back by Tuesday afternoon, you add $5 a day for my album. I was a businessman. <laughs> I was cheap. <laughs> I was greedy. Because if they even put a scratch on my album, I put a $10 retainer on it. Because albums were hard to come by those days. But I met Jesus. And I don't have any more albums. You know what I did with them? Those classic, oh, I know. Y'all feeling me, right? But see, the problem was that became my God. So God said, get rid of them. Give them, the, bless somebody with them. Who was supposed to pay me for them? God has a sense of humor, doesn't he? Because you know, yeah, I'll be back tomorrow to pay you, sir. He never came back. Oh, thank you. And God showed me something. You give it away. It blessed him. See, I was dealing with greed in my life, and God, I met Jesus. And he took that greed and turned it into giving. And greed is such an intense, selfish desire. When my albums were gone, guys, I was always thinking about them. I was always worried. About, I would call them everything. Did you play it yet? Did you record those things yet? I ain't them back. Because they became something. I thought if I had most of the music in the barracks, if you had most of the music, you were the man. Everyone came to your room. And it's an intense, selfish desire. Greed is to have more wealth and power or food. I wish they didn't throw the food in there because I love to eat. But we do. Let me give you some statistics. Because, again, I just said we just came out of was in it. We're just coming out of it, of our last financial disaster in America. You know, we had one in the 30s, and I'll tell you about some more of those things we had that was, we thought was scary, but it really wasn't. Um, let me give you some statistics. I picked this up on the www.billings.com. This is where we, they actually have the world debt clock running 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Now, I pulled this off third of, the 3rd of October, okay? I looked at it this morning. It kind of went up. Anyway, I can't read half these numbers, but I'll just give you a sign what's going on. Outstanding public debt, debt of um, October 3rd, 2012 is $16 trillion. Over $16 trillion. The estimated population of the, of the United States is over 300, uh, 313 billion. So each citizen's share of his debt of this debt is $51,000 per household. The national debt continues to increase an average of $3.91 billion per day. Now, I looked at it this morning. It's 3.9. It's 3.90 per day since September 28, 2007. And that's what we call crisis, and we all felt that. And, our, and how we, housing and everything fell, and a lot of it fell of some bad financial choices we had made as Americans, and it hurt a lot of innocent people. But the number one word out of all this was greed. It was greed. The guy selling you something because he wanted to make a buck, 
and you accepting something because you wanted a house that neither one of you can afford to give up. He couldn't sell you something because they couldn't cover it, and you shouldn't have took it because you can't cover it. And what happens? That what you got on shaky ground, when the ground fell, it hurt a lot of innocent people. What happens with greed, our favorite word needs to be no. Here's my saying, and I tell us with Grace Point Church all the time. If I, we cannot afford it, we're not buying it. Because I'm not going to buy anything on other people's money. Okay? I looked at it. Our, our, um, college debt is skyrocketing, all those things. But, you know, as you look at history from the 1930s when we had the Great Depression, if you look at all this was similar about greed and stock market falling, you know, crisis, you look at crisis is normal to life, guys. Crisis is normal to life. If you're a parent, you know crisis is normal to life. Y'all can laugh. Your kids are back there. They're okay. Look, at about, I remember in 1970, we had the oil crisis. I remember I just started driving in 1976, and gas was only 39 cents a gallon, man. When you had a dollar, you were large. A dollar took you a long way. Two gallons of gas, that was good to go. I can get to the city and get back and park somewhere. But then we had the odd number of days, even number of days. You couldn't get gas, and everyone said the wall's going to fall apart because we can't have gas. And there was fights at the pump, and we were not, not going to make it. Here we are. Here we are. 1980s, inflation. I was, I was in, Okinawa, I was in, um, Japan, uh, in Germany at that time. Over 20% inflation. Now, it panned out for us overseas because the market was doing pretty well. That's why we didn't come back to the States. But <laughs> inflation hit. And we said, we're not going to make it. We're not going to make it. Here we are. One of the other ones. 1987, the great stock market crash. We're not going to make it. Here we are. Crisis is normal to life. When you read in the Bible, in Genesis, uh, in Genesis, in chapter 37, with Joseph, he became in power when they had a, a great seven-year famine. And that's what you learn. If you want to learn how to run a checkbook, go to that scripture. He taught you how to save money, how to have a savings account. Remember those? Remember your little savings bank book? The greatest thing that happened this last thing we're coming out of People are starting to save money again. Another one in 1 Kings, a great famine hit. Now, here's the question. Crisis is normal to life. When crisis hits you, what do you start, who do you believe in? What is your response to it? Because crisis is normal to life. It's always going to be around us. But when crisis hits, we have two choices to make. One, we can dive into the God with God and his Bible and figure out what he wants us to do. Or we can walk away from him and try to figure it out on our own. And if you look at all this debt and you look at all these crises, the crisis in America, this is what happens when we don't follow God wholly. What you're looking at is a world reaction to 
Greed. This stuff will go on. I'm dead. This stuff won't even go with me. See? Possessions. It's not about possessions. It's about possessing the one who owns everything. So we're going to spend a few weeks, but I want to talk about that today. The crisis in your life. How you can actually, God will take you through the crisis and get you to the other side. But I want you, when this series is over, to have a firm foundation about life. Because I believe in saving monies. I believe in giving to God and then giving to myself. I believe in the savings account. I believe in leaving something for my children's children. I believe in those. And God's given me, in his Bible, he's given me the tools and he's given me all the information I need to do that. And I want you to believe in that, too. Christians should not be at the table dying to the world. It breaks my heart when I go on South 7th and I see these payday loan places. It breaks my heart. They never put them in a neighborhood that's fluent, do they? Because here it is. I'm learning something just running this church. The more we owed in the beginning... Everyone shows up to give you stuff. When we paid it off, no one shows up. Because why? Debt sells. It pains me to see that. And then we try to make it so, we try to make it so uh, um, holy by doing things like that. Make it spiritual that God blessed me with, it, with some money. Now at that place, the old-fashioned way of here's a dollar, I have a dollar. I get $2 a week allowance. Y'all didn't know that, did you? My wife gives me $2 a week because I, I get to go to IHOP for breakfast with the guys. And my coffee is at buck seventy-five. So there's, there's $2, it is, $2 in the top drawer. Y'all laugh, what y'all laughing at? <laughs> Sorry, hon. I, I, like, I, like the, uh, I like that control. I like them boundaries. See, I get my $2, I get my coffee. I bring back change, and I have more for next week. Because we have a budget. We have a budget. Don't we? We have a budget. Right. And we, if you guys, some of we counseled you when we said we're broke as a married couple, some of we counseled you guys. We told you when you're broke, it's not the bad thing. When you're married and you're broke, it's not a bad thing at all. I'm not going to go there. That's another series. <laughs> but old-fashioned, staying within your means. It sounds funny. It sounds weird now, doesn't it? Even when I said that, it's like, are you kidding me? Yeah, no. Why would I go get a big gulp? I can buy a six-pack of soda and have it in my, in my sh- little closet there and take that with me. Big up, all that seven dollars and seven dollars. Just say no. Thank you, Pastor. Just say no. It's not easy. It isn't calling your name. It's amoral, except the one who is holding it. And they sell it to us. So let's look at this because really, crisis is normal to life. 
And, you know, Jesus knew that about our finances, how we would have a hard time with finances, because Jesus talked more about money than he talked about heaven and hell combined. He talked more about the money money in the Bible than he talked about heaven and hell combined. Now, there's a story that I like that a young man who went through a crisis of belief, when he encountered Jesus Christ, he had a question Christ answered the question, and it put him in crisis. Because how many of you know, when you pray to God for something, he always sends a strategy. And we look at the strategy, and we say, that's going to be a crisis to get to where I need to get to. Because, see, God's plan is to change you on the journey. So you can receive what you've been praying for. If you don't go through the crisis, you won't get the answer. And most of the crisis is good for us because it's going to change us along the way. Let's go to Mark chapter 10, starting in verse 17. He's a young man. We know about him all the time. We call him the rich young ruler. He's also in the book of Luke. And, you know, this guy's got a bad rap sometimes when you read this story. Because the man was pretty, he was a pretty awesome young man as far as walking with God. Let's look at this. Starting in verse 17. It said, he was setting out on his journey. A man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one's good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. Now, we talked about the one thing last week. One thing. Now, go sell that all that you have and give to the poor, and you'll have treasures in heaven, and come follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, but he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how difficult is it for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God? And the disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said to them again, children, how difficult is it, is it to enter the kingdom of God? It's easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle than a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, then who can be saved? Jesus looked at him and said, with, with man it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. Now this young man walked with the law, but he realized there was something more that he needed, and he came to Jesus with a question. Master, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus gave him the answer. He never rebuked them for what he was doing. This guy was pretty good. If he was in the average church, we'd probably put him in the front row. Because he was such a, a, he was just a young, he was such a nice gentleman. He did everything right on the outside. He looked like he went to church every week. He probably went to Sunday school every week. Might have sung on the choir. But he lacked the one thing. Relationship that put him in a crisis. Jesus put him in a crisis of belief. 
He really didn't put him in. He gave him a choice. He put himself in a crisis of belief because he started to believe more in his finances than he did in the living God. That's our first point, a crisis of belief. You know, the word crisis is Greek. It means a decision. It's a turning point when you must make a decision. Whenever there's a crisis, a decision needs to be made. I like this. I wrote this down. Ed Cole says this. Crisis takes us from the transient to the permanent. Whenever we're in, in, in between something, we want to get somewhere permanent, it always puts you in the permanent because you have to make a decision. Whenever there's a crisis in your life, you can't leave it open. You have to make a decision. And this is a decision that he had to make. He knew. Inside of him, his soul started to rumble. Because what I have is greater than who he is. I ran up to him because I realized who he was. But I'm not ready to change. I want him to change for me. And all of us walk in here. And we look great. That's why when we, his crisis, you can feel it when he received it. The same way when we say, let's take our tithes and offering. <clears throat> Everyone starts to, do I give him everything? Do I give him 10%? My bill I have to pay at the end of the month? Uh, uh, and you're in a crisis. That's why we keep the music playing, so you can come down. <laughs> because you're so tense. Because you, at the time that happens, you look at me. He dresses too well. He don't need no money. And they got this doing okay in this place. Because you start to hit our heart. The young man had a great external things going on in his life. And most of the time, all our struggles and all our crises, guys, is on the external, which affects our internal. Whatever notice when you get squeezed, I always say this. Every time I go through something, I meet a person I don't even know. Me. I'm like, where'd that temper come from? Who is that guy? Why? What's inside of me gets squeezed out. So the pressure on the inside is to be great on the outside. The question wasn't about giving up all your finances. The question was, give up all your life. Remember I said last week, God, Jesus cannot be a part of our life. He has to be our life. The Bible says he is our life. So the question had nothing about giving up the finances because we used to do this in church. Give me your finances. Give a good marriage. Do all those things. And all we got to keep telling you is if he doesn't have all of you, we're not going to get anything. He's not going to get anything. So you surrender and all that comes with it. It's about surrendering, not do, do, do. Surrender. Let him do, do, do. That's what this young man had a crisis belief. Some of us, I hear a lot of people, I'm not going to church, y'all take up offering? The money thing. And I know we have not done, you hear in the paper, things have not gone well, but that has nothing to do 
with my relationship with Jesus Christ. When I get before God, I'm not going to say, well, I didn't give because, you know, this pastor, he was doing this and doing that. He's like, wait, 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 wait now. I'll take care of him. What about me and you? Which makes it hard to even talk about. It's like cutting edge money. And it should be normal. It should be. It should make fun, have fun with it. God gave us things to enjoy. So he had a crisis of belief and his soul was being rocked. The next thing he went into, because the decision had to be made, a moment of crisis. And we all go through moments of crisis. Let's go to James chapter 1, starting in verse 14 and 15. James chapter 1. Now the moment of crisis. Because now we got to choose God or choose to leave. And this is when sin comes in. Because what is not faith is sin. But each person is tempted when he is lured away and enticed by his what? Own you can't say the devil made me do it. 15. Then desire, when it's conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's fully grown, becomes, brings forth death. You see the progression? In a moment of crisis, three things start to take place in you. False truth is the first one. False truth. Why? Because our idea is, if I only had more, this is where we hear with people. If I had more money, I'd do everything I can do. If I just get more of this, I'll be okay. Hey, I'm not getting political. Did the bailout work? Last time I checked, if I'm going to get out of debt, and I got a, I got a math major here, why am I going to go get a loan to get out of debt? Just asking. Did that make sense? Well, we buy into it. I got a debt, so I'll bring more debt. No. Someone said, no, just don't spend any more on that card. Cut it up. Don't take the card. They're going to give me a bailout. They're not bailing you up. They're going to tie you up for another 20 years. See? And that's what happens. We have this, oh, yeah, if I do this and I do that, I'm going to make it. It's going to be fine. False truth. If I get this, I'll be okay. If I get this $20,000, I'll be all right. No, you want, you're going to want another 20000 I read Ecclesiastes all the time. Those who love money are never satisfied because it's never, it's never enough. I asked the guys yesterday in the men's breakfast, guys, when is it ever enough? We couldn't answer the question because we're greedy. Unless God comes in and changes our world. Naturally, we default to that. Next one is that emotional tug of war. And this happens to all of us. That's where the sin comes in. And we have this tug of war going on in our lives. Judas had to deal with that. You know Judas in the Bible? He was a treasurer, walking with Jesus every day, sleeping, getting up, hanging out with Jesus. What was he doing? Taking money out of the kitty? Taking money in front of the king of kings, in front of God. Why? Tug of war. God's an emotional person, uh, being a person. We're emotional. But we can't let our emotions run our lives. And what happened was, he was taking money out of Kitty, and when it came time to go against the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, our Lord and Savior, he took money. Thought it was going to be okay. Three years. You, can, you could have asked uh, Judas, if he's on the front row, hey, did you love God? Yeah. Did you love Jesus? Yeah. But he won't tell you this. I kind of loved money before more than I loved him. 
So I took it out to Kitty. It's in the Bible. So he already had a character flaw that set him up to fall later on. Is that is just that easy to be that close to Christ, to God, and still have a greed problem? Because it's a grip. It grips you. The last one is death. When you go under, you bring your whole family with you. If you have young children and you're not saving for them right now, because I heard one person say, well, my mother didn't leave me anything. I'm not leaving them anything. Really? It kills them. We're worried about, is it going to be Social Security in 10 years? Can I be real with you? So what? I worked as far as I can go. I can't give no more on Social Security. But I'm not retired from doing what God called me to do. And I still save money. So we'll be okay. But I have to trust God in that. Even I saying that, you guys start shaking because that's what we're being sold. Is it going to be? Is it not going to be? Is it going to? I don't know. Plus, have you ever seen it? I used to be an RA. Have you ever seen the money that we're fighting over? Have y'all seen the trillion dollars we're talking about? Is there in a vault somewhere? I mean, really, have anybody seen it? You say, I'm going to fall out if you say that. I haven't seen it. Why? <laughs> it's not real. It's numbers. And we get caught up on what's not real, and we walk away from who is real. Doesn't matter. Not saying I don't care about our government, don't care about my finances. I do. But I know who takes care of all of it. He owns it all. It's the moment of crisis. Judas had that. Next, and this is a scripture I love, Proverbs 13, 7. It says this. One pretends to be rich and has nothing. Another pretends to be poor, yet has great wealth. Both again. One, someone told me um, California is like that, the first part. To pretend to be rich, you got nothing. You know what it's called? Credit cards. Yeah, I love the commercial they used to have. I live in a nice house. I drive a nice car. And the guy says, <laughs> I'm in depth up to my eyeballs. Someone help me. Right. And everything looks perfect. We found out a lot of airlines weren't doing too well when we had the crash. They were going day to day. I don't want to live day to day. I want to live eternally. Second thing, another one pretends to be poor yet has great wealth. Here's a, a common denominator of them. They don't give to anybody, neither one of them, because they, they, they act like they're poor, and it's, I got so, they want to keep it, keep it in the vault, keep it in the vault. I might need it later on. I don't think you're going to need it later on if, if the hearse pulls up. I really don't think you're going to need that because everyone's going to fight over whose it is now. It's a young, it's a guy, it's an actor who just died, Sherman, His, uh, Sherman Hemsley. Remember that movie, I mean, that, that show, uh, Moving On Up? It was about money. You know where he's at? On ice. Because moving on up, they can't figure out who's going to get the money. So they're not even going to bury him. He's gone, but his body's there. And they're fighting over money that someone else will get. Amen? Again, what can break the grip of greed? There's only one thing that can break the grip of greed, 
And that is God's truth. His truth. A lot of us, I've been around a long time, and I'm seeing a lot of us are not walking in biblical terms of our finances. We're trying to make it. We're trying to pace it together. And we're not going to God for the answers. It says truth, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Remember, the whole idea, when we look at this, this parable and this story, the whole idea had nothing to do with the finances. Had everything to do with surrender. Surrender your whole life to Christ, not pockets to you. Good on this thing, I'll give you this. But I'm not going to give you this. And I'm going to hold on to this. And that which you hold on to too long will wind up killing you. That's why people aren't living as long as they want to. They're stressed. And it's a crisis on stuff they've never seen. And the God who is real. And Jesus told them, champ, make a choice. Why? Because crisis takes you from the transient to the permanent. And when we talk about finances, when we talk about our time, we talk about our talent. When we ask you, hey, can you, well, I don't have time. Because you're greedy with your time. Because you have, Christ hasn't given all of it to you. You haven't given all of it to him. Has nothing to do with me telling you, you need to tithe next week. You need to give an offering next week. You need to show up here and serve next week. When he has all of you, that is a non-player. I don't have to work. Someone wants to wake me up and say, get to church. I love church because it's the hope of the world. People are the only hope. And we are going crazy on the hope that can't fulfill. Now, some of you walked in like this. And I love God and his ways on how he says we can just speak to him. Because greed, guys, is sin. I can't, I, can't, I can't say you have an issue. It's sin. You can't blame anybody else. You can't blame a pastor who messed it up. You can't blame a ministry that screwed up. You can't blame anybody because it's your relationship with Jesus Christ. And that's what it says. When he says, when you, when you have sin in your life, all you got to do is confess that sin. Go to 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. How about you? What are you holding on to that's killing you? It might be a relationship you're holding on to that you haven't given to God first. It's killing you. Here's what I struggle with a lot. Pride. I need help. If I don't get help, it just kills me. But greed, it's really a form of greed because I think I can do it all on my own. How about you? Every head bow. Every eye closed. This is a private. This is a private.